Chapter 2 of The Man Who Was Thursday by G. K. Chesterton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. The Secret of Gabriel Syme. The cab pulled up before a particularly dreary and greasy beer shop into which Gregory rapidly conducted his companion. They seated themselves in a close and dim sort of bar parlour at a stained wooden table with one wooden leg. The room was so small and dark that very little could be seen of the attendant who was summoned, beyond a vague and dark impression of something bulky and bearded. "'Will you take a little supper?' asked Gregory politely. "'The pâté de foie gras is not good here, but I can recommend the game.' Syme received the remark with stolidity, imagining it to be a joke. Accepting the vein of humour, he said with a well-bred indifference, "'Oh, bring me some lobster mayonnaise!' To his indescribable astonishment, the man only said, "'Certainly, sir,' and went away apparently to get it. "'What will you drink?' resumed Gregory, with the same careless yet apologetic air. "'I shall only have creme de menthe myself.' I have dined, but the champagne can really be trusted. Do let me start you with a half-bottle of pommery, at least. Thank you, said the motionless Syme. You are very good. His further attempts at conversation, somewhat disorganised in themselves, were cut short finally as by a thunderbolt by the actual appearance of the lobster. Syme tasted it and found it particularly good. Then he suddenly began to eat with great rapidity and appetite. "'Excuse me if I enjoy myself rather obviously,' he said to Gregory, smiling. "'I don't often have the luck to have a dream like this. "'It is new to me for a nightmare to lead to a lobster. "'It is commonly the other way.' "'You are not asleep, I assure you,' said Gregory. "'You are, on the contrary, close to the most actual and rousing moment of your existence.' "'Ah, here comes your champagne. "'I admit that there may be a slight disproportion, let us say, "'between the inner arrangements of this excellent hotel "'and its simple and unpretentious exterior. "'But that is all our modesty. "'We are the most modest men that ever lived on earth.' "'And who are we?' asked Syme, emptying his champagne glass. "'It is quite simple,' replied Gregory. "'We are the serious anarchists in whom you do not believe.' Oh, said Syme shortly, you do yourself well in drinks. Yes, we are serious about everything, answered Gregory. Then, after a pause, he added, If in a few moments this table begins to turn round a little, don't put it down to your inroads into the champagne. I don't wish you to do yourself an injustice. Well, if I am not drunk, I am mad, replied Syme with perfect calm. "'but I trust I can behave like a gentleman in either condition. "'May I smoke?' "'Certainly,' said Gregory, producing a cigar-case. "'Try one of mine.' Syme took the cigar, clipped the end off with a cigar-cutter out of his waistcoat pocket, "'put it in his mouth, lit it slowly, and let out a long cloud of smoke. "'It is not a little to his credit that he performed these rites with so much composure,' for almost before he had begun them, the table at which he sat had begun to revolve, 
first slowly and then rapidly, as if at an insane seance. "'You must not mind it,' said Gregory. "'It's a kind of screw.' "'Quite so,' said Syme placidly. "'A kind of screw. How simple that is.' The next moment the smoke of his cigar, which had been wavering across the room in snaky twists, went straight up as if from a factory chimney, and the two with their chairs and table shot down through the floor as if the earth had swallowed them. They went rattling down a kind of roaring chimney as rapidly as a lift cut loose, and they came with an abrupt bump to the bottom. But when Gregory threw open a pair of doors and let in a red subterranean light, Syme was still smoking with one leg thrown over the other and had not turned a yellow hair. Gregory led him down a low, vaulted passage, at the end of which was the red light. It was an enormous crimson lantern, nearly as big as a fireplace, fixed over a small but heavy iron door. In the door there was a sort of hatchway or grating, and on this Gregory struck five times. A heavy voice with a foreign accent asked him who he was. To this he gave the more or less unexpected reply, Mr. Joseph Chamberlain. The heavy hinges began to move. It was obviously some kind of password. Inside the doorway the passage gleamed as if it were lined with a network of steel. On a second glance, Syme saw that the glittering pattern was really made up of ranks and ranks of rifles and revolvers, closely packed or interlocked. "'I must ask you to forgive me all these formalities,' said Gregory. "'We have to be very strict here.' "'Oh, don't apologise," said Syme. "'I know your passion for law and order.' and he stepped into the passage lined with the steel weapons. With his long fair hair and rather foppish frock coat, he looked a singularly frail and fanciful figure as he walked down that shining avenue of death. They passed through several such passages and came out at last into a queer steel chamber with curved walls, almost spherical in shape, but presenting with its tier of benches something of the appearance of a scientific lecture theatre. There were no rifles or pistols in this apartment, but round the walls of it were hung more dubious and dreadful shapes, things that looked like the bulbs of iron plants or the eggs of iron birds. They were bombs, and the very room itself seemed like the inside of a bomb. Syme knocked his cigar ash off against the wall, and went in. "'And now, my dear Mr. Syme,' said Gregory, throwing himself in an expansive manner on the bench under the largest bomb, "'now we are quite cosy, so let us talk properly. Now no human words can give you any notion of why I brought you here. It was one of those quite arbitrary emotions, like jumping off a cliff or falling in love. Suffice it to say that you were an inexpressibly irritating fellow,' and, to do you justice, you are still. I would break twenty oaths of secrecy for the pleasure of taking you down a peg. That way you have of lighting a cigar would make a priest break the seal of confession. Well, you said that you were quite certain I was not a serious anarchist. Does this place strike you as being serious? It does seem to have a moral under all its gaiety, 
assented Syme. "'But may I ask you two questions? "'You need not fear to give me information, "'because, as you remember, you very wisely extorted from me "'a promise not to tell the police, "'a promise I shall certainly keep. "'So it is in mere curiosity that I make my queries. First of all, what is it really all about? "'What is it you object to? "'You want to abolish government?' "'To abolish God,' said Gregory, opening the eyes of a fanatic. "'We do not only want to upset a few despotisms and police regulations. "'That sort of anarchism does exist, but is a mere branch of the non-conformists. "'We dig deeper, and we blow you higher. "'We wish to deny all those arbitrary distinctions of vice and virtue, "'honour and treachery, upon which mere rebels base themselves.' The silly sentimentalists of the French Revolution talked of the rights of man. We hate rights as we hate wrongs. We have abolished right and wrong. And right and left, said Syme with a simple eagerness. I hope you will abolish them too. They are much more troublesome to me. You spoke of a second question, snapped Gregory. With pleasure, resumed Syme. In all your present acts and surroundings, there is a scientific attempt at secrecy. I have an aunt who lived over a shop, but this is the first time I have found people living from preference under a public house. You have a heavy iron door. You cannot pass it without submitting to the humiliation of calling yourself Mr. Chamberlain. You surround yourself with steel instruments, which make the place, if I may say so, more impressive than homelike. "'May I ask why, after taking all this trouble to barricade yourselves in the bowels of the earth, "'you then parade your whole secret by talking about anarchism to every silly woman in Saffron Park?' "'Gregory smiled. "'The answer is simple,' he said. "'I told you I was a serious anarchist, and you did not believe me. "'Nor do they believe me. "'Unless I took them into this infernal room, they would not believe me.' Syme smoked thoughtfully and looked at him with interest. Gregory went on. "'The history of the thing might amuse you,' he said. "'When first I became one of the new anarchists, "'I tried all kinds of respectable disguises. "'I dressed up as a bishop. "'I read up all about bishops in our anarchist pamphlets, "'in superstition, the vampire, and priests of prey.' I certainly understood from them that bishops are strange and terrible old men, keeping a cruel secret for mankind. I was misinformed. When on my first appearing in Episcopal Gators in a drawing-room, I cried out in a voice of thunder, Down, down, presumptuous human reason! They found out in some way that I was not a bishop at all. I was nabbed at once. Then I made up as a millionaire but I defended capital with so much intelligence that a fool could see that I was quite poor. Then I tried being a major. Now I am a humanitarian myself, but I have, I hope, enough intellectual breadth to understand the position of those who, like Nietzsche, admire violence. The proud, mad war of nature and all that, you know. I threw myself into the major. I drew my sword and waved it constantly. I called out blood, abstractedly, like a man calling for wine. I often said, let the weak perish, it is the law. 
Well, well, it seems majors don't do this. I was nabbed again. At last I went in despair to the President of the Central Anarchist Council, who is the greatest man in Europe. What is his name? asked Syme. You would not know it, answered Gregory. That is his greatness. Caesar and Napoleon put all their genius into being heard of, and they were heard of. He puts all his genius into not being heard of, and he is not heard of. But you cannot be for five minutes in the room with him without feeling that Caesar and Napoleon would have been children in his hands. He was silent and even pale for a moment, and then resumed. But whenever he gives advice, it is always something as startling as an epigram, and yet as practical as the Bank of England. I said to him, what disguise will hide me from the world? What can I find more respectable than bishops and majors? He looked at me with his large but indecipherable face. You want a safe disguise, do you? You want a dress which will guarantee you harmless, a dress in which no one would ever look for a bomb? I nodded. He suddenly lifted his lion's voice. Why then, dress up as an anarchist, you fool! He roared, so that the room shook. Nobody will ever expect you to do anything dangerous then. And he turned his broad back on me without another word. I took his advice and have never regretted it. I preached blood and murder to those women day and night, and, by God, they would let me wheel their perambulators. Syme sat watching him with some respect in his large blue eyes. You took me in, he said. It is really a smart dodge. Then, after a pause, he added, What do you call this tremendous president of yours? We generally call him Sunday, replied Gregory with simplicity. You see, there are seven members of the Central Anarchist Council, and they are named after days of the week. He is called Sunday, by some of his admirers, Bloody Sunday. It is curious you should mention the matter, because the very night you have dropped in, if I may so express it, is the night on which our London branch, which assembles in this room, has to elect its own deputy to fill a vacancy in the council. The gentleman who has for some time past played, with propriety and general applause, the difficult part of Thursday, has died quite suddenly. Consequently, we have called a meeting this very evening to elect a successor. He got to his feet and strolled across the room with a sort of smiling embarrassment. I feel somehow as if you were my mother, Syme, he continued casually. I feel that I can confide anything to you, as you have promised to tell nobody. In fact, I will confide to you something that I would not say in so many words to the anarchists who will be coming to the room in about ten minutes. We shall, of course, go through a form of election, but I don't mind telling you that it is practically certain what the result will be. He looked down for a moment, modestly. It is almost a settled thing that I am to be Thursday. My dear fellow, said Syme heartily, I congratulate you. A great career. Gregory smiled in deprecation and walked across the room, talking rapidly. As a matter of fact, everything is ready for me on this table, he said, and the ceremony will probably be the shortest possible. 
Syme also strolled across to the table and found lying across it a walking stick which turned out on examination to be a sword stick, a large Colt's revolver, a sandwich case and a formidable flask of brandy. Over the chair beside the table was thrown a heavy-looking cape or cloak. "'I've only to get the form of election finished,' continued Gregory with animation. "'Then I snatch up this cloak and stick, stuff these other things into my pocket, step out of a door in this cavern, which opens on the river, where there is a steam tug already waiting for me, and then, then, oh, the wild joy of being Thursday!' And he clasped his hands." Syme, who had sat down once more with his usual insolent languor, got to his feet with an unusual air of hesitation. "'Why is it,' he asked vaguely, "'that I think you're quite a decent fellow? "'Why do I positively like you, Gregory?' He paused a moment, and then added with a sort of fresh curiosity, "'Is it because you're such an ass?' There was a thoughtful silence again, and then he cried out, "'Well, damn it all! This is the funniest situation I've ever been in my life, "'and I'm going to act accordingly. "'Gregory, I gave you a promise before I came into this place. "'That promise I would keep under red-hot pincers. "'Would you give me for my own safety a little promise of the same kind?' "'A promise?' asked Gregory, wondering. "'Yes,' said Syme very seriously. "'A promise.' "'I swore before God that I would not tell your secret to the police. "'Will you swear by humanity, or whatever beastly thing you believe in, "'that you will not tell my secret to the anarchists?' "'Your secret?' asked the staring Gregory. "'Have you got a secret?' "'Yes,' said Syme. "'I have a secret.' "'And then, after a pause, will you swear?' "'Gregory glared at him gravely for a few moments, and then said abruptly, "'You must have bewitched me, but I feel a furious curiosity about you. "'Yes, I will swear not to tell the anarchists anything you tell me, "'but look sharp, for they will be here in a couple of minutes.' "'Syme rose slowly to his feet "'and thrust his long white hands into his long grey trousers' pockets. "'Almost as he did so, there came five knocks on the outer grating, "'proclaiming the arrival of the first of the conspirators.' "'Well,' said Syme slowly, "'I don't know how to tell you the truth more shortly "'than by saying that your expedient of dressing up "'as an aimless poet "'is not confined to you or your president. "'We have known the Dodge for some time at Scotland Yard.' "'Gregory tried to spring up straight, "'but he swayed thrice. "'What do you say?' he asked in an inhuman voice. "'Yes,' said Syme simply. I am a police detective, but I think I hear your friends coming. From the doorway there came a murmur of Mr. Joseph Chamberlain. It was repeated twice and thrice, and then thirty times, and the crowd of Joseph Chamberlain's, a solemn thought, could be heard trampling down the corridor. End of chapter 2